Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's up, everyone? John here. Are you listening to this episode on Himalaya? If you are, congratulations, because you're already using the best new podcast app out there. If you're not, you're missing out. Whether you're a podcaster or a fan, Himalaya is designed with you in mind and has a ton of cool features like curated, shareable playlists and collections made just for you, along with personalized recommendations to help out with content discovery. And the best part is, it's super easy to use. It's definitely my favorite podcasting app, and I'm sure it will be yours too. So do yourself a favor, download Himalaya today, and be sure to follow Smart People Podcast once you're there. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast. Conversations continually satisfying your curious mind. This is Chris Stemp and I am ready to talk the P word. That's right. We are talking passion. We're talking about passion in a way that no one else is and everyone should. Here's a little sneak peek. Common advice is to find and follow your passion, but it's not that simple. Rarely is passion something that you just stumble upon. And the same drive that fuels breakthroughs, whether they're athletic or entrepreneurial, can be every bit as destructive as it is productive. If you're not careful, passion can become an awful curse, leading to endless seeking, suffering, and burnout. Man, that sentence speaks to me. It's straight from this book, The Passion Paradox, we're going to be talking about today. And I just absolutely loved what both of these authors had to say in this interview really helped open my eyes to more about who I am and how to live with this passion that I have to create without letting it be all-consuming. Before we get into it, as you may have seen, we have launched our Patreon page. It's a great place to support us. We are going to be going to weekly episodes when we hit 50 patrons. So if 50 people will go support us at a minimum of $2 a month, we're going to go back to weekly episodes. Double the fun. Oh, and also, by the way, for $5 a month, you get ad-free episodes. And these are episodes that are downloaded directly to your podcast player. So you don't have to do anything funny. It's just like the way you consume the show now, except it's ad-free. Head on over to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash smartpeoplepodcast. 
And we are up to 10 patrons already. I want to give a quick but very powerful shout out to some of our biggest supporters, Rowena, who has always been there for us. I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Alex, Nicole C, Arun S. Those are some of our newest patrons. Thank you so, so much. Help us out on the quest to 50 patrons so we can get back to once a week episodes. Okay, this week on the show, we are interviewing... Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus about their brand new book, The Passion Paradox, a guide to going all in, finding success, and discovering the benefits of an unbalanced life. Man, I love this. I'm not going to give you their bios because we get into that in about minute six or so of the episode. So tune in, enjoy. And by the way, our chats will be happening over at Patreon. It works kind of like a blog and a comment section. So head on over there with what you think. We will answer whether you support us or not. We love you for listening. Here it is, Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus, as we learn about the passion paradox. Enjoy. All right. Well, Brad and Steve, thank you both so much for being on Smart People Podcast. Thanks so much for having us. We're looking forward to uh, to being on the show. Yeah, and I know our listeners are going to enjoy this one. I mean, anytime you're you're talking about passion is something that's going to resonate, but I think it resonates for the reason you wrote this book, which is it's a word that I think tends to be overused. It's also been touted as the the only thing we need to follow. And I think what you both uncovered here, and this is why it's called the passion paradox, is there's a dark side to passion. So what I'd like to do is maybe I'll start off, Brad, with you. Tell me a little bit about this dark side of passion and what we might need to be aware of as we're told to, quote unquote, find our passions. Yeah, for sure. So um, the, the, the dark side of passion is, is actually kind of threefold, uh, at, at least in terms of how passion is conventionally discussed. So maybe I'll just go through them real quick, and then we can, um, I'm sure we'll go into more detail on, on each of these topics. Yeah. So the first way in, in which passion can take on a dark side is if one one looking for a passion becomes so hellbent on finding what they perceive or expect to be this perfect activity, career, vocation, even romantically, this perfect partner that feels just great from the get-go, that too high bar often keeps people in seeking mode. Uh, what all the research shows on passion is that those passions that actually tend to be the most long-lasting and fulfilling are gradually cultivated over time, endure periods of ups and downs, and often don't feel great at first. So this culture convention of find your passion at your commencement speech or find your soulmate, the research doesn't support that at all. What the research supports is Find something that interests you or find someone that interests you and then pursue that interest and see what happens. Let it blossom. Uh, I think that, that that mindset shift in and of itself is so important because if you go into everything expecting it to be perfect right away and it's not, and most things aren't, then again, you're going to get stuck in this kind of searching, seeking mode, which is very frustrating. Uh, the second big paradox of passion is that Often what will happen is when someone starts out and, and does develop a passion, they're passionate about doing activities. Uh, they love writing because they love to write. As you do that activity more frequently, you tend to get better at it. And when you get better at it, there is this external validation that comes with it. So now suddenly, instead of being passionate about writing, you might be passionate about all of the recognition that you're getting from your writing or the retweets or the number of book sales or making bestseller lists. And I'm using writing as an example because it's close to my heart and Steve's heart. But this is the same thing for working in a corporate workplace where uh, suddenly the passion can shift to your state of power or your, your relevance in the organization. Uh, from an athlete standpoint, this is when your love for the game, the pursuit, becomes a love for winning or a love for moving up in the rankings. Um, we'll, we'll get into this more later. Now, it's not to say that you shouldn't feel good when you do well. Of course you should, but you shouldn't be a crate, uh, excuse me, you shouldn't be a slave and crave that kind of status. And then the third dark side of passion um, is that if you're really passionate about something, it's very hard to be balanced. Uh, passion and balance are by definition somewhat antithetical. So how do you pursue a passion 
without it completely taking over your life. And that's particularly important when the time comes on to retire and move on from the passion, because if that's all that you've had and that's your entire identity, that can be a huge gaping hole if it's really hard to fill. That was such a, I mean, it sounds like you've done this before, you know, that was such a good lead in and kind of set up here, especially that third one balance, because man, I've seen this go so many different ways with myself included. So I can't wait to get into all that. Um, before we do, let's take a step back for a minute, get to know you both a little bit. It's unique to have two people on and I think it'll be helpful. Steve, we'll start with you. I think both of you actually are performance coaches and Steve, and I was looking into you. It's seems like your focus tended to be on athletes and specifically in running. Tell us a little bit about your background and then how it brought you to write a book about passion with Brad. Sure. Yeah, you, you nailed that. My back my background is in endurance sport. So currently I coach a bunch of endurance athletes, mostly in the, in running a uh, long distance, but I got my start as a, uh, a very, very good uh, high school runner. So my senior year in high school, I was the fastest miler in the, in the entire country for high school kids and like third fastest in the world um, for high school athletes. So I was almost like a prodigy at, at running. And that was my passion. Um, and in a lot of ways, that was my obsession, right? It was all I cared about. Um, I didn't, I didn't care about anything else. Like it was all running athletics, schoolwork, didn't care. Didn't, I chose where I was going to college based on athletics, all that good stuff. Um, thought that I was going to run professionally and go to the Olympics and all that stuff. Um, but ended up burning out completely. <laughs> mm. So finished my college career, never running faster than I did in high school. And uh, got into the coaching world and really wanted to look at, okay, I had all this talent and this work ethic and all this stuff, but ended up burning out and leading me down down this almost like dark side, this dark path. Uh, how do I prevent that um, from happening to others that I work with? So fast forward a decade now, and uh, as Brad and I were finishing up our first book together, which was Peak Performance, which was looking at some of the... Uh, how how to maximize performance um, in a lot of different ways, we, we kind of really got on this topic of, okay, but the, the driver behind really good performance is generally this almost passion or this obsession towards things. But I, myself, and Brad in his own way had experienced this almost obsessive uh, need to uh, do some sort of activity or to perform at our best, but we'd also burned out from it. So we wanted that led us to explore this notion of, okay, passion can be a great thing, right? It led me to incredible performances, but it also pushed me over this uh, cliff of, of working so hard and not seeing the big picture and, and burning out. So it, learned, it um, led us to see if we could understand how to uh, almost harness our our natural passion in a better way so that we could achieve, you know, high performance, but not um, fall to some of those dark sides that uh, Brad just mentioned. Perfect. Well, thank you for that. And I want to turn it over to you, Brad, because I know I think you do similar things as a performance coach, but with a slightly different background, having been at McKinsey. And I know you had a stint at the White House. How did you get to this point? So I followed a pretty a pretty parallel path to Steve, uh, although my my area of performance um, as a young as a young person was I guess much more what you could call um, traditional career oriented or intellectual. Uh, so I did work at McKinsey. I worked at the White House, and like Steve, I was quite good. And um, my problem was I could never really turn it off. And a lot of my identity got caught up in that ability to be quite good at those things. Um, and that came with great highs, but also really tough lows uh, that after a period of time resulted in, in a phase of burnout. Um, and then like Steve, I, I, I had a, a pivot, more, kind of like a, an aha moment that this isn't sustainable. I went to public health school, uh, really with, with, with an eye towards what makes for health and how can health be a bedrock for performance? Uh, again, like Steve said, to, to prevent first and foremost for myself to fall into this trap again. Uh, and then coming out of graduate school, I started to work with executives uh, in, in other individuals such as entrepreneurs 
on how they can harness their passion, harness their performance while mitigating some of those those downsides. Um, and I, I was a big fan of Steve's work as just a hobby jogger, uh, like a weekend warrior runner. And um, I connected with Steve over the internet and we, we kind of quickly realized that we were both interested in and pointing at the same type of thing, just in very different fields of practice. Uh, and as we became friends and collaborators, we started realizing that what applies to a runner almost always applies to executives, almost always applies to parents, and that human nature is human nature, passion is passion, performance is performance, uh, regardless of the domain. Let's go first and just start here. The word gets used a lot. How do you define passion? Yeah, so the the, the word does get used a lot. Um, I, I, I like to use two complementary definitions and then juxtapose to a third. I think in threes, if you can't tell already. So the first definition is a very strong general enthusiasm or zeal for a particular pursuit. So that pursuit, again, can be running, it can be writing, it can be being the best manager, being the best coach, being the best parent. Um, another way to look at it is the very relentless pursuit of something with productive consequences. Now, I love this definition because it's juxtaposed to addiction, which is the relentless pursuit of something with destructive consequences. And that is where it's such a fine line because who's to say that pursuing a passion, it's really not any different than an addiction other than society and perhaps yourself deems it productive. Um, and a huge part of that tip where, where passion becomes addiction is when suddenly what you're doing is not leading to positive consequences in your life, it's leading to negative consequences. And if you don't realize that early, you can kind of get sucked into the inertia of that. Um, and, and then it's really hard to pull yourself out of. I just came from, I mean, walked in the door and, and came to this interview from the driving range. Golf is, I don't know, a passion or an addiction. And what I'm trying to figure out is how we differentiate the two because sometimes it's quite clear, right? Drugs, perhaps, right? That's, that's an obvious one. I don't think there's a lot of positive outcomes from that. But if you ask my wife, she'd probably call golf an addiction. And if you ask me, I'd probably call it a passion. Here's the problem. Other than adding happiness and some flow to my life, I don't think it really is benefiting me in terms of financially or creatively or anything like that. So for those out there that have these passions that aren't going to help them get towards the societal norm of success, uh, how do we differentiate that? Yeah, that, that's a good question. And, um, you know, we actually dived in in the book into the, like the biology of this. And it turns out that um, passion and addiction are very close cousins, right? They're um, driven by the same hormones and neurochemicals and particularly dopamine is one of the primary drivers between both passion and addiction and what dopamine does is it it's released during our the pursuit of some activity um, to get us to do that activity over and over again so it's not necessarily the reward so of going to play golf and and winning the game it's driven to get you to go play golf right and the same applies where with drugs is the dopamine isn't released when you take the drugs it's released to get an anticipation of that to get you to take them mm. so the biology of it is is incredibly uh similar and you know when we come to differentiating things as brad said a lot of that is societal in the sense that you know, if you looked at a, a Michael Phelps or some world-class swimmer um, staring at a, a blue line at the bottom of a pool for four or five hours a day would seem to be pretty negative uh, addiction uh, for a lot of us, but mm -hmm. he wins a gold medal, so it's okay. And I think when it comes to evaluating these things in our own lives, um, it, it really drives you to have some sort of self-awareness to understand what the benefits and the drawbacks of of that uh, passion are. Like you mentioned golf, for example. It might not be adding anything financially, but if it adds a little bit of happiness and a little bit of space that allows you to come down after a hard day of work and rejuvenate so that you can work harder maybe the next day, then that's that might be worth it. But if all of the sudden you're spending, you know, four, five, six days a week or every single weekend 
uh, playing golf in a way from other things that you might consider a value, maybe family activities or other projects and work, then in that sense, it might be a negative addiction that's getting in, in your way. So I think it's really about evaluating the, um, the trade-offs of it and um, almost doing that somewhat um, consistently over time to understand that like, hey, here's this passion I have. Um, is it getting in the way of other things that might be more important or it does it have its rightful place and it's okay? And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Green Chef. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with plans to fit every kind of lifestyle. Meal plans include paleo, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, keto, gluten-free, and omnivore. So my omnivore meal kit is coming, and I'm pumped because inside the box is Moroccan kebabs with chicken thighs, Italian breaded pork chops, and Southwest fajita cheeseburgers. And I'm not going to lie, I am super excited for the Southwest fajita cheeseburgers. So this is how Green Chef works. Green Chef lets you choose from a wide array of easy-to-follow lifestyles with select organic ingredients. Recipes are quick and easy with step-by-step -step instructions, chef tips, and photos to guide you. There's something for everyone. With Green Chef, it's easy to eat well and discover new recipes every week that you'll love to cook. So if you sign up for Green Chef, you can enjoy clean ingredients you can trust and seasonally sourced for peak freshness. And best of all, Green Chef is just easy. Let Green Chef do the meal planning, grocery shopping, and most of the prep for you week after week. Like I said, I am super pumped for the Southwest Fajita Cheeseburgers. It comes with chimichurri sauce and spiced sweet potatoes. You need to take a look at the picture for this meal. It looks so, so good. Green Chef is offering the listeners of Smart People Podcast a total of $75 off. That's $25 off each of your first three boxes. All you have to do is head over to greenchef.us slash smart75. Again, that's greenchef.us slash smart75. And you too can get a total of $75 off that's $25 off each of your first three boxes. And now back to the episode. Yeah, and, and I don't want to stick to the golf analogy, but it's one that I think so many people can identify with, whether they be hobby writers or fishermen or whatever it is. And it's this idea, like for me, I've convinced myself that A, I golf to get headspace and, and clarity and all that. And that's true. But B, it's the pursuit of being better, right? Like I, I'm working towards being a scratch golfer and that's something that not a lot of people can say. And it's just something I want to do. However, in order to get good at anything, I mean, it pretty, you know, beyond the norm, right? It takes a, a good amount of focus and time and resources. And if it is not going to lead to a financial reward or a... I guess if you want to call it even a tangible life award of some kind, it could seemingly be negative. And so how I would challenge you, I would okay, challenge good. you on that, though. Yeah, yeah. I don't think, I, I actually think that I almost say the opposite. I'd say that if the reason that you're pursuing something like golf is because you want a trophy or you want to be able to boast to your friends that you're this great golfer, um, to me, that's actually a lot more dangerous than just pursuing it for flow or enjoyment. Because flow or enjoyment, that's totally within your control. And that's like an end in and of itself. So if golf provides happiness and nourishment in your life, and the, the downsides of spending that much time on golf aren't that great, then I would say that's about as healthy of a passion there is. I think that um, if you're golfing because you want to win this specific tournament or because it feels like such an important part of your identity that you have to be a golfer, that's to me a little bit more of a sign for for caution um because then it's like well what would happen if you get injured then what happens to your identity um or if you don't win that tournament or you don't eventually hit that scratch mark then is it a failure are you not okay with it but if you're enjoying the journey then i actually think that's about as healthy of a passion as there is um okay. Okay. now again despite negative consequences that's a key part because if you're 
neglecting family right. or if you're struggling to pay rent because you're not putting effort into your your way of making income because you're constantly on the golf course then suddenly you know that's to me where it's like oh this is bordering on addiction um but if it's just something that you love not having that that particular end external result i actually think is a good thing i like that and now how do you talk about this in terms of societal success right because one of the things i was really interested to discuss with you is I have this belief that the most successful people are also not only passionate, but they're also obsessive and typically at the expense of other areas of their life. You know, it's really easy to look at Steve Jobs or Elon Musk, right? And, and know how much they sacrificed for their outward success, if you will. What does the research show about you know, this need for almost an obsession to guide you to societal success. So um, I'll, I'll start here and then Steve, you, you can chime in. So there's there's a few there, there's two there's two things to, to, to note here. The first is that the research shows that if you're passionate about something, it is better to not go all in on that thing immediately. Um, so there's a lot of truth in the side hustle because what happens is if you immediately drop everything else you're doing and go all in, suddenly you have this enormous pressure. Whereas if you start failing, then you might not be able to pursue what you're doing in the way that you actually want to, because you have to make money to pay the bills. Uh, one of my favorite studies in the book is, um, is out of, um, in the Harvard business review, and it's called a hybrid path to passion and entrepreneurship. And it basically makes the case that you should keep your day job for longer than you think before you go all in on your passion. And again, paradoxically, not taking that huge risk up front allows you to take many more risks in your passion because you have this safe passion. Now, I think what you're alluding to is once you're already all in on your passion, what does the research say about continuing to go all in? I think what it says is that, you know, you're right. Like to really be great at something requires a lot of work. If you have this expectation that you also need to be balanced, you're going to end up miserable because it's just impossible. So first thing is like, get rid of that expectation. Like like the key to a good life for, for some people is balance, but for others, it's not. For others, it's the ability to go all in on things that they care about. Um, what I'll let Steve talk to is whether or not that going all in is healthy is so contingent on whether you have enough self-awareness to truly evaluate what you're sacrificing as a result. Now, it's one thing to say, oh, I'm aware of it. I'm sacrificing friends and family as a result. But it's another thing to really feel what that means and then still choose to go forward. And this is the difference between someone that gets to the end of her life and is filled with regret or someone who gets to the end of their life and thinks that they spent their time and energy in worthwhile ways. And it's totally values neutral. For some people, that might be going all in on a passion. For other people, that might mean pulling out. Yeah, there, there's some really interesting research by a psychologist named Ellen Weiner who looked at um, prodigies across uh, domains and found that what they all had was exactly what you just described, which was this almost obsessive rage to master. Yeah. Um, but what she found and what is often missed in this research is that it wasn't driven by parents or coaches or, you know, some adult figure. And these, uh, again, prodigies that accomplished some amazing things in a variety of fields, it was internally driven. So it was them choosing to have this rage to master. Now, what pushed it or what motivated it varied a lot, right? But it was always coming from the, um, the person themselves and not externally. And I think that is a huge piece to the puzzle uh, that is often missed because, uh, you know, um, a lot of times we think like, oh, we have to be obsessive like Steve Jobs and do all this stuff. And maybe we push our kids to that or we push our athletes to that if we're a coach or our workers to that if we're a boss. Um, but it has to come from within because if it doesn't and you try to do this, go all in, be obsessive, you're just going to burn out because you don't have that internal motivation and drive that's going to push you through the uh, the kind of sucky part of going all in and all the failures that, that often come with it, right? Um, which brings to the second part of Brad's uh, statements earlier is that 
in order, if your goal is to do something like jobs and change the world in whatever way it is, and you go all in, which is fine, like you've, you've got to have that internal motivation uh, to keep pressing forward and withstand failure. But you also have to have the self-awareness to know what you're kind of giving up. And what the research shows is pretty clearly is that if your identity when you go all in is becomes tied to that external result, then a lot of times you don't change the world, you end up failing or burning out, right? But if that I if your identity you're able to separate it enough to realize that like, yes, I really want to succeed. Yes, I'm gonna do everything I can, but this isn't life or death. Um, I'm not going to die if this company dies, um, then you're better able to sustain. And the, the perfect example in this Steve Jobs sayings is Jobs versus probably uh, uh, Elizabeth Holmes on Theranos, where um, she needed to succeed, even if that meant committing fraud and cheating and fudging the, fudging the books, because the success meant more than the actual changing of, of the world. Okay, I'm throwing, that's it, I'm throwing all of my formal question and answer interview skills out the window. This is going straight conversation, because do you guys realize in the two answers you provided, the amount that people are seeking answers to the exact questions you just talked about? Like, I just wasn't expecting this. Here's what I mean. First, and I think it was Brad talking about, you know, it's better to have this side hustle. That's something that I have been wrestling with for years and have recently come to the conclusion, you know what, I'm going to stop putting so much pressure on these other projects and saying they need to take over the sole income because every time I do that, I quit them. Yeah, you're, you're spot on. And I'll put my own skin in the game. Um, I, I try to practice what I preach. So uh, Peak Performance is a best-selling book. Um, I've been published in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, some of the most prestigious outlets. I still have a job where I am doing corporate consulting and coaching because I'm not yet ready to go all in as an entrepreneur and as a writer. Yeah. Um, and as a result, that and to make it really clear, what that gives me the freedom to do is if some editor comes to me and wants me to write a clickbait, you know, top eight ways to hack your diet article, I can say no because I don't need to. So that allows me to really focus that energy on the things that matter and that have the chance to really make an impact. Whereas if I would have quit that job and gone all in, then suddenly if I'm having a rough month or two months in book sales, you have to start saying yes to crap that you don't want to do. Um, so I am a huge proponent of keeping things on the side as long as you can, especially um, if they're things that you're passionate about, because one way to suck the fun out of a passion is to become totally reliant on that as your sole source of income. Right. Now, if I were to have to get to a point where Steve and I are selling millions of books, yeah, that's a whole other story. But I think a lot of people make that jump prematurely and then end up really dissatisfied. Yeah, because you know why? Because they don't hear this message. I mean, yes, we hear about the side hustle, but nobody, at least that I'm aware of, talks about not just having a side hustle, but realizing it's a benefit to keep it there. I think too much of the Gary Vaynerchuk hot air is getting blown out there where it's like burn the boats and, you know, don't have an escape plan and you do your best work when your back's up against the wall. I'm sure that works to an extent, but it just, as I've seen and as you're explaining, I think tends to lead to a lot less fun, taking the, the fun out of a passion, which could become your life yeah it's an, it's an it's an inspirational message but it's bullshit just right. to put it blunt yeah and gary vandercut's a smart guy and he might perform really well under pressure but steve and i we have research backgrounds and like our book is is based on scientific evidence and the evidence shows clearly that that it makes sense to do it gradually sorry steve you were going to say something too well, I was just going to say it, it, exactly what you said in the sense that the message sounds really good, right? When you have someone um, saying that message of you got to go all in, like burn all the all the boats, just go for it. Like it really gives you this feel good rush in that moment of like, yes, I can do this. I have confidence. I'm going to go all in and prove that I can do that. But what you're really doing is making yourself incredibly fragile, right? Yeah. Because in that sense, you have to succeed, which sounds like, oh, this is going to motivate you. But no, like if your life 
and your financial well-being and maybe your family's as well, like depends on this, like you're going to do things and go to places. And like Brad said, it might just be it just might mean, you know, writing a clickbait article or it might mean, hey, I've got to make money. I might have to, as we've seen in some cases in the business world, like cheat and figure my way to get this done um, because you're fragile. Right. Yeah. So the be- the better way is the more robust way of saying like, hey, like I'm going to do this thing on the side until it it shows and proves itself that, you know, it can take over full time. But I'm not going to, you know, uh, make myself fragile by going in too early. This week's episode of Smart People Podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? If so, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, trauma, anger, grief, self-esteem, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. Anything you share is confidential, and it's so convenient. You can now get help at your own time and at your own pace. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. If you're not happy with your counselor, you can request a new one at any time at no additional charge. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. And for Smart People Podcast listeners, get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com smart. So why not get started today? Head over to betterhelp.com smart. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with the counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com slash smart. One more time, it's betterhelp.com slash smart. And now back to the episode. Well, so I'm so glad we covered that. There was another thing you really talked about when you were making that distinction between maybe it's Steve Jobs and, uh, and the woman from Theranos. And it's this idea of, do you tie up who you are into the results? And one of the things that I find most difficult is how do we separate our identity from our results? So much of who we are as humans, we want to continue. We want to build, we want to grow, we want to, you know, create, uh, move forward. And if we are not succeeding perhaps in the way we thought, I think it's very easy to say we are failing. We can't be an entrepreneur. We will never be able to do this on our own. How do you find or or do you find any research or any tips on how to separate who we are and where we get our value from the results we get on the things we are passionate about? Yeah, you hit the nail on the head there. And that's the common trapping, right? Whether it's in sport or business world, what often happens is we conflate the two, right? They become intertwined where we think because we lost this game or our business failed that we ourselves are failure. And what the research clearly shows is that when your identity becomes intertwined in that way, it tends to push you towards this more um, dark side of passion, right? And if you're able to separate your identity from your results a little bit, then what it does is it pushes you towards this better, more uh, what we call harmonious side of passion. So, you know, the key to doing that is it's 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 incredibly difficult. And I'll let Brad talk a little bit about this. But the two things that I think are very important are cultivating the self-awareness to be able to create space between the identity and the results, to be able to look at things a little more objectively and be like, no, you know, like, yes, this business failed, but why did it fail? Maybe it was just the wrong timing or these other things, you know, sure, it was partly on you, but it wasn't entirely your fault. There's too much uh, going on in life that, um, and a little bit of luck that, that, uh, hampers things. And then the other part of it is really to create, um, create perspective, right? When you step back and zoom out and see things as a whole, then sometimes you look at those failures and you're like, okay, that might've, I might've felt like a harsh stinging failure, but it, it wasn't really, you know, um, one of my good friends who was, uh, miss the, uh, miss making the Olympic games by one spot, you know, she was devastated afterwards 
But a week or two later, she's sitting there and being like, you know, if you told me as a 17, 18 year old kid that I was going to miss the Olympics by less than a second, then I would have been like, no way. Are you kidding me? Like, that's not a that's not a failure. That's a success just to get to these this point. So sometimes practicing this reframing of what success and failure is, is also important to make sure you separate your identity. Yeah, and I and I think it's important too to to mention one one or two more things. Um, and we go really heavy on this in the book because like these are concepts, and it's easy to understand these things intellectually, but it's really hard to do them. So like, what does this look like in practice? Um, and, and another thing I'll say before I get into that is I've yet to meet someone that is completely harmonious in their passion and doesn't care at all about results. You'd have to put in thousands of hours of meditation and Zen training. And most people don't. I know I certainly don't. <laughs> so the goal, the goal isn't to like totally forget about external results. It's to most of the time, not have that be the most important thing. So how do you do that? I'm going to come back to something that you said earlier about golf. There is such a huge difference between being in flow, doing the work and tying your identity to someone that does the work versus what I like to call the ego candy of results. So I call it ego candy because when you're checking results and you're stoked to see I got promoted or my book is selling or I shot you know, two under par or my friends are talking about me because I'm doing so well, um, or even like I lost 10 pounds, whatever it is, that, that stuff is fleeting because like the next day, you're still the same person. And it's candy because it feels really good when you're eating it. But if you spend so much time thinking about and checking on that kind of stuff, eventually you start to feel gross. No different than candy. Whereas actually doing the work. So playing golf, writing. Um, if, you're, if you're a manager, managing a team, or if you're an analyst, like putting together the report, or if you're someone that's keen on losing weight, like doing the exercise. That's the stuff that feels good and is like it is more nourishing. It's like brown rice, but any moment for any person, eating the candy always feels better in the moment, but it feels crappy later. So like very clear example, if I'm going to sit down to write, it almost always feels better for me to check social media and to see, oh, I've got a hundred new followers or my poster being shared. It feels really good. But if I spend six hours doing that, which I'm totally guilty of, I have, I know I'm not alone. At the end of those days, I feel really crappy. Whereas if you can just realize like, huh, I'm eating too much candy, I'm going to start eating the brown rice, which never feels good at first. But once you get into the groove of actually doing the thing that you like, you tend to realize that's actually where you get your lasting satisfaction and joy. Um, so I think it's as simple and as hard as coming back to the work that you love doing the work, realizing what you love is doing the work, not the validation you get from it, and tying your identity to a person that does the work, not a person that succeeds at the work. That's brilliant. It really is. So I'm thinking, okay, so in, in your mind is the goal, right? Is nirvana finding something that we enjoy doing that perhaps we don't even think of as work and the results of that thing provide us with the financial stability we also need to have the lifestyle we want. Yeah, for sure. And, and in the book, we call this um, the mastery mindset in, in this term mastery, which is being on this long-term path where there is no goal. Goal is just to stay on the path. And staying on the path means putting in the time and effort, enjoying the process of getting better, of mastering a skill, learning about yourself, having failures that acutely really piss you off along the way, but then getting back on the bandwagon. And once your basic needs are met, so no doubt about it, if you don't, if you can't pay rent and, and get shelter and have food and health care, it's very hard to achieve mastery. A lot of people do have those basic needs met and still end up burnt out. And I am thoroughly convinced that's because they are continuing to get caught up in the external crap instead of just focusing on mastery and in that path. Um, so that's a beautiful way to think of it. Like once your needs are met, just have fun, do the work. And again, don't be a robot. Like when Steve and I, when, when our book became a bestseller, we were super happy, but we kind of limited that happiness to like a day or two. And then we got back to writing because again, what we really like and what's under our control is the writing, not the sitting there 
gloating and being so happy about how well something did. This because is, the next time this, it might not do well. This is so perfect because so many people want to write a bestseller. And you guys are obviously very thoughtful, self-aware. You've done the research. Let's go through this little thought exercise, okay? I am a passionate writer. I, you know, have a little blog that 10 people read and I have dreams of writing a bestseller. I feel like I have things that I need to share with the world. Um, I have experiences that need to be told and I'm doing it. But as most writers or any entrepreneur or artist does, we worry, we, we have fear, right? It's not going to happen. Is it ever going to happen? Am I going to be able to support myself through it, et cetera? What do we do when we know what we enjoy, but A, the likelihood of it leading to this financial stability that we need is low, as in writing. And then from people who have written best-selling books, what is it truly like when you get there? <laughs> well, well, I think Brad and I are great examples of this because we were both in that spot that you just described. So we we both got our start writing blocks. Okay, mm -hmm. nobody and, read it. Yeah, no, no one read these things. They were, and if you went back and looked on the internet, they were, the, the writing was horrible, all that good stuff. Oh, your but, writing was horrible. My <laughs> writing was fine. But anyways, go on. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> um, so you you look at it, and it's just what happened is we just wrote right? We wrote because we had things to get out there and things to say. And, and it didn't really matter too much if someone read them. It's like, yes, you want people to read them. But the key was putting that work in over time. And over time, like our writing got better, our audience grew not as a result of like being master marketers, right? Um, that's neither of our backgrounds. It was the result of just continually increasing and improving the quality of our work. And what we found over time is like you would be surprised if the quality of your work gets, goes up and up and up, like the people who will find it and the breaks that you will get. And, you know, from my perspective as well, like I wrote a blog for probably five, six, seven years before putting out my first book, which was self-published. And then before getting a, a book deal, which became our first book, which became a bestseller. And, you know, in that transition, if you look at things like not a whole lot changed in terms of the motivation behind it or the writing um, behind it. And and getting that bestseller wasn't some life changing, you know, event. Um, it wasn't this like validation thing that said like, oh, now I'm a writer. Like, I'm pretty sure Brad feels the same, but there's lots of moments where I look at, you know, our our stuff and I'm like, oh, I don't know if I should be a writer still. Um, but it's the ideas that are pressing forward. It's always been about, you know, when we've sat down and thought about our next projects, our next uh, articles to write, it's always been, does the idea need to get out there? Do we feel this urge like, hey, this is going to help somebody. Um, this is something that needs to be put out into the world. And now that we're read by a lot of people, we almost have to um, keep our egos in check a little bit and remind ourselves, um, especially around book launch, that like, yes, we need to sell books because, you know, it allows us to continue to do what we like to do. But the point of this and why we got into this is to have these ideas spread that we think are important. Like, as as you could tell from our story, like we're passionate about passion because we've been on the other side and, and been burnt out. We want people to avoid that. Um, scenario that we went through. So the number one thing and what we fall back on is doing the work and remembering why we want to do that work in the first place. Yeah. So it's focusing on the work, focusing less on the results, doing it in a limited pressure environment and cultivating your skill along the way. Is that a, a decent summary? Yeah, that's it. And realizing that it's not, it, it, that sounds great, but it's hard. Like it's, right, it's right, Right. Yeah. And I think that's important because um, it's an ongoing practice. And even even myself and Steve, who are experts on this, who, who literally wrote the book on it, um, we still we still catch ourselves falling into these traps. But that's OK, because we catch ourselves. Right. So like right. as long as you can catch yourself and then realize it and, and pull yourself out um, over time, you keep repeating that cycle and, and, and you start digressing less and less. Um, there's this quote of a, a Japanese Zen teacher that I just love. 
Um, and, and she says, the way practice works is that we build up our practice and then it falls apart. And then we build it up again and it falls apart again. This is the way it goes. And I think for anyone living in the developed world in, in the current ethos, you're, you're going you're, you're to build up this practice of productive passion and it is going to fall apart for sure. Because the culture is so strong promoting external validation, going all in, quick fixes, instant gratification, yada, yada, yada. So don't be too hard on yourself when you break down. Just realize that it happened and then get back on the path. And again, you do that over and over again. And eventually it becomes less frequent that you break. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Skillshare. All right, I'm going to take a shot in the dark here. If you listen to this podcast, you love to learn. And what better place to learn than on Skillshare? Skillshare is an online learning community for creators. With more than 25,000 classes in design, business, and more, you'll discover countless ways to fuel your curiosity, creativity, and career. Take classes in social media marketing, mobile photography, creative writing, or even illustration. Whether you're looking to discover a new passion, start a side hustle, or gain new professional skills, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. All right, I'm going to jump into my Skillshare account real quick to see what I have in the queue. Taking a look here, I've got context is key, social media strategy in a noisy online world, Instagram marketing, and the full JavaScript and ES6 tutorial. So it looks like I know what I'm going to be doing this weekend. So listen up. Join the millions of students already learning on Skillshare today with a special offer just for our listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for free. That's right. Skillshare is offering Smart People Podcast listeners two months of unlimited access to over 25,000 classes for free. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash SPP. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash SPP to start your two months now. That's Skillshare.com slash SPP. And now back to the episode. Wow. I mean, it's this is such a pertinent message. It's so fantastic for myself. I know for others. I, I mean, I can't recommend the book enough. We don't have enough time to cover everything. Like we said in the beginning, you mentioned kind of the three quote unquote dark sides, right? It's constantly seeking for your passion, following your passion and, and really doing it for status. And then this idea of balance. In the last kind of 10 minutes that we have, one of the things I really wanted to talk about was this idea of balance, because one of the things you said I think is really, really important is not only being self-aware, which is something you all talk about a lot, but recognizing balance might be your thing, but it might not be your thing. How do we figure this out? What we truly want? Do we want a life of balance or do we want a life of all in, aggressive, going for it? And then once we find that out, how do we do it in a way that is going to be sustainable? Yeah, so I'll 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 start and I'll be quick and then I'll let Steve layer in because I know he's got a lot of um, good thoughts on this as well. So I I would say that those those two things aren't exclusive. I think that there's a life of perfect balance. There's a life of going all in and an obsession on one thing, and then there's a life of going all in for periods of time. Um, and that period of time can be a week, a month, a year, a decade, or twenty years. But there's nothing to say that just because you gave 20 years of your life to, to some type of vocation or work, that then you can't pivot and give 20 years to family or something else. Um, most people tend to do this on shorter cycles, like you know, one month really focused on work or a project, and then one month family. I think the issue is when someone that is wired to be super passionate tries to create what society tells us is perfect balance any given day, which is wake up, exercise, breakfast, work the nine to five, pick the kid up, come home, watch a TV show, drink a glass of wine, read a book to the kids, go to sleep, do yoga, meditate, and then do the same thing the next day. Like no one wins Olympic medals or Bill's business is doing that. It's just not true. The flip side is you can bury yourself trying to win an Olympic medal or building a business for 60 years and then look back and say, crap, I never did anything else. Um, so I think that that third option um, that's certainly the one that I try to practice and that, and that I advise people on that are wired with passion is go all in 
but then make sure that you're evaluating the trade-offs regularly because there will be times when it makes sense to step back. Um, and, and I'll let Steve speak to how you can actually evaluate those trade-offs with some more objectivity. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think when I, it comes to balance, um, one of the favorite, uh, one of my favorite people we talked to was uh, Shalane Flanagan, who was won the New York City Marathon. And she had this great quote, and I'll paraphrase it, that said that something to the kind of, she was like, I like to go all in and extreme uh, for a period of time and then shift to another thing. So for her, it was then going all in on running when she was training for a, a marathon. But like the moment it's done, then it was like all in on taking a vacation and doing things with her family and other pursuits. And she was talking about it in terms of uh, also moving on from her passion and in the sense of once she knows it's time to be done, she's going to be done and find something else. And I think, you know, that that ability um, to be able to step away is um, incredibly important on this balance aspect, because I think what happens is we get balance wrong on the time frame of it. As Brad mentioned, we tend to think it balances, let's do everything at once. But if you zoom out and you see balance from a bigger time perspective, it could be, hey, well, I'm capable of, uh, you know, I have the athletic ability to become a scratch golfer, then I'm going to make that a priority. But like once that is no longer an interest or once that no longer drives me, then, you know, maybe that goes on the back burner and I'm going to make something else the center of my life. And I think when it comes to balance and evaluating this stuff, you're like, you really need to do a deep dive and see how you're kind of wired right? See if you're the type that tends to go obsessive on a project or if you're the type that dabbles in a bunch of different things and, and doesn't do well focusing on one thing. Like your life and how how you're living it gives you a lot of clues to how you should attack this balance question. And once you know how you're wired, then you can kind of set things up on, okay, you know, um, I'm either going to need to block off periods where I'm obsessive and go all in on stuff and then have the awareness to, to back out or not. One of our good friends who we talked to for this book and our first one uh, is, a, is almost a polymath type doctor who does a lot of crazy things named Mike Joyner. And he gave us both advice one time. He said, you guys are both the type that are uh, super obsessive and tend to have to like be focused on some project to get it done. And he said, you know, with your friends and family, like the, what he's learned over his 60, whatever years of living is like, if you're that type, you just got to make other people aware. So if you go on a vacation mm -hmm. it's saying like, Hey, like, I know you guys aren't in vacation enjoying this, but like I've got to get almost my fix of like work towards this project. So just give me a, you know, give me an hour or two hours in the morning before we get things going, get that out of the way, and then I'll be with you. Right. And that's his version of balance for someone who's obsessive type. And I think, you know, that's a really good way of looking at it and a, a good uh, indicator that he has the experience and wisdom um to realize that so really doing the deep dive and understanding how you're wired is incredibly important yeah um, and realizing that this stuff is values neutral so if you're perfectly balanced um what to me sounds like going through the motions to someone else might be a great source of happiness and contentment and there is nothing wrong with that to an extent i envy that person um but it's also values neutral that if you're wired with passion and you're super driven don't like that's not better or worse. It just is. So don't judge yourself for it, but realize that that's how you're wired. And then, like Steve said, make sure that you communicate to people that you care about about it. Because my guess is that from a relationship standpoint, the people that love you the most, a big part of why they love you is because of that drive. But it's also probably the thing that irks them most. Yeah. Yeah. You have to set expectations and just keep communicating about it. Well, that's why I love this. I mean, again, a lot of the questions I ask tend to be just selfish, and it just turns out the people that listen are very similar. But I've had this conversation with my wife. She's like, Chris, one of the most frustrating things is oftentimes I feel like you're not here even when you're here. And I said, okay, why? She said, well, you're always thinking, doing, working on, or talking to someone about one of your four projects. And I said, you know, you're right, and we kind of know that. So we're going to have to figure out a way to deal with this because what I beat myself up 
about for the longest time was, you know, I shouldn't be this way. I should focus on work when it's work time and then focus on family when it's family time. And the message I'm getting from you all is, look, if we are focused on uh, doing work we're passionate about, okay, living a life that we enjoy, et cetera, there are many ways to do that. They involve knowing yourself, setting parameters, and then following some tried and true researched ideals about passion, whether that be the things we've already discussed, right? Doing the work, not looking towards results. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, I yeah, think, I think yeah. that's it. That's a beautiful summary. Um, and not judging yourself either way. And then from a, a relationship standpoint, um, just making sure that you communicate with the people that care about you that, hey, like, this is how I am. This is how I'm wired. And you have needs too. And it's not saying be rigid and don't bend. Um, it's exactly what Steve said. Like our friend Mike said, he didn't say when he goes on vacation with his family, he sits and works all day. He just says that, hey, you know, I need an, and this is, I've adopted this practice myself and, and it's made my marriage a lot smoother than it was. Like I need between one and two hours a day, most days to just go to a coffee shop and work on what I'm working on. And when you put it like that, it's just one to two hours. You can almost always find that. Now, right. are there days when I don't get that? Am I fine? Yes. But just setting that expectation and getting that off my chest is so freeing. Because sometimes I feel like, well, I'm being judged by other people, but I'm actually not. So like just the clear awareness and communication about this with yourself and others is so important. And then, like you said, and why we wrote this book is it's one thing to say I'm wired to be passionate. It's another thing to know how to follow it. And just about everything out there that we found is BS. And our hope is that this book fills some of those gaps. Well, and I think it's it's doing that, right? I think people are listening going, oh, wait, this is a message I can believe in. I think so many of the messages we hear in this subject area, they sound nice, but deep down at our core, we know it's not real. We just don't know how to deal with it. And and I truly believe just from this conversation alone that there's something about it that resonates a little bit. I know we only have two minutes left, but there's something I just cannot let you go without asking. And it's, I've found that the most passionate people are passionate about many things. In my opinion, it's the curse of being passionate. You can't just go play golf once in a while. You got to be scratch and you can't just start a company. You've got to start a million dollar company and you can't just have a relationship. It's got to be the best thing ever, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What is your advice for people who are multi-passionate? Mm. <laughs> that, I yeah, I mean, that's a whole other episode. Go ahead, Steve. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a that's a difficult one. But I think you know, I, I think passion and curiosity go go hand in hand. And in, in the book, we talk about how passion really develops is actually. Um, we dabble in a lot of interests and then they cultivate into passions. And that's why I think you see people with who are highly passionate have a lot of things where they're just like, oh, I'm going to go, you know, do this amazing thing and try and do this really well and this really well. Um, and it almost becomes a struggle of, uh, OK, what what do I actually want to focus on? Right. And, you know, I don't know if there's there's an answer to that. But what I would say is that, like, give yourself permission to explore your curiosities to whatever degree that you want to, as long as you have this self-awareness to step back and realize like, Hey, this might be really fun, but like, is this the best passion that I can pursue right now? Right. I love running for example, but you know, as a 34 year old who's um, coming off injury and, and best times is behind them. Like I'm going to run to enjoy running. I'm not going to try to run to enjoy to run the fastest 5k I ever have in my life because that's the waste right now. Like I've always, I've already gone through that phase. So like this passion gets put on the back burner a little bit. Well, like go explore this other one. And I think giving yourself permission to um, break off and try these different things is incredibly important because I think, you know, one of the messages that has stuck around for far too long is you do this one job, you get this one major and then you, you know, specialize in that thing for a long time. But um, specialization isn't the be all end all. Like I'd rather see people become almost master journalists and then dive deep on things that they want to specialize in a while and then, you know, step back and try something else and, um, you know, go from there. I, I could talk about this all day. I know we have to let you go, but 
I, I will just say that we only scratched the surface. There's so much more to this, and it's in your book, incredible book, The Passion Paradox, a guide to going all in, finding success, and discovering the benefits of an unbalanced life. Man, you fit a lot in there, and it all makes sense. Brad and Steve, I really want to say thank you, and I also want to give you both a minute. There's a lot that you write on this topic and out in the world, so where can we find you? Where would you lead us if we wanted to do more research into this topic? Yeah, so the, the book's website um, is a good place to start, and it's passionparadoxbook.net. Um, you can also just throw the, the book's name in Google and our names, and it should be one of the first hits. Um, and then both Steve and I are on Twitter, and, and we try to keep this conversation going with readers there. Um, I'm at B Stahlberg. Steve is at Steve Magnus. And I think those two things are probably, probably key. Steve, am I missing anything? No, I think that covers it. That was Brad Stolberg and Steve Magnus. Hope you enjoyed the interview. Their book, The Passion Paradox, a guide to going all in, finding success, and discovering the benefits of an unbalanced life can be found on Amazon or at your local bookstore. And if you decide to purchase the book through Amazon, please make sure to use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. We have a new way to support the show now. You can head over to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast and become a patron. But you don't have to do that. You can support the show through many a ways, one being our Amazon link. And the other is just heading over to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and leaving a rating and review. If you'd like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up and we will see you all next episode. <laughs>